Good morning, everyone. My name is Chris, the lead pastor here. So thankful to be in God's house with you. So I sit on the front row, uh, not because I'm the pastor, uh, because I don't want to distract people with my terrible singing voice. So the front row is great because I, I don't think they can hear me on the stage. I hope not anyway. When I was a senior in high school, I was looking for easy classes. Uh, it was not the time we live in now where you have to load up and die on the, the hill of AP classes your senior year. I uh, wanted to go to this kind of small liberal arts college. I knew I could get in, so I was like, I'm just going to load it up with easy stuff. And so I did. And they needed boys to sing in the chorus uh, because they said, we, we need boys. And, the, and I said to the chorus teacher, I said, I, I can't sing. And she said, it doesn't matter. I can teach anybody to sing. And I said, all right. And then she said, and I'm also going to guarantee you an A. So I signed up. <laughs> and I sang for her. And she said, you're going to need to lip sync uh, this semester. <laughs> and it really hurt my heart. Like, it, it was painful. <laughs> and she gave me a B. A <laughs> lot of years in counseling and care to work that through. And, and because of that, I think early in my Christian journey, I thought, you know, singing is for other people. You know, it's um, the warm up for the sermon. Um, and I just want to say to you that we sing here for 25 minutes or so uh, because we have to remember uh, true things. And music has always helped people remember ultimate things. If you read the Bible, when Saul, the king, was tormented by dark and evil thoughts, he would call David and David would play music and Saul would feel soothed in his soul. Uh, when Elijah would, would want to and need to prophesy, they would call musicians and they would play and then the Spirit of God would come and people would hear God. And Christians and Jews have been singing for thousands of years because when we sing, it, it's supposed to touch something deeper than our heads. It's supposed to get down into the groundwater of our affections, our, our guts, our, our love places. And I just want to say that God's ultimate desire for you and for me is that we would love him. Um, not just that we would know who he is or believe true things about him. That's so important. We care about that at this church. But at the end of the day... What God, and I, I think increasingly what I can say we want most for you, is we want you to love and be loved by God. And so for some of us, that, that might mean an invitation to break the lid off of our uh, capped emotions when we sing. And I just want to say to you that that's why we sing. We sing because I think singing gets into the love places in our souls and if that's foreign to you or strange to you, or maybe like me, you've been told that that was not your thing, um, I just want to say to you that it is all of us. This is our thing. This is what God wants for all of us is to be people who love him. And one of the ways to learn to love God is to sing true things about him. And I just think for me, it's like in the music today, I just found myself like um, just really struck with the hope and the faith that is in the statement, I'm no longer a slave to fear. Like that's like a declaration for me at times when I feel very afraid. I say, but this doesn't own me. Where else are you going to get that? So I just want to say to you, open up your mouth and sing. Um, allow the, the, the emotion that must accompany love to grow in you. I know that's an invitation the Lord has for me, and I think it's true for all of us. If you have your Bibles, turn to Daniel 6. 
How, that one was for free. This one's also for free. Um, I just felt like I would be remiss if I didn't say that. We're going to read a whole chapter as we've been doing lately of the Bible. So put your seatbelts on. Um, Twitter is about to lose its mind because this is more than Twitter. What is it, 240 characters? We're going beyond that today. We're going to be very un-American. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps stationed throughout the whole kingdom and over them three presidents, including Daniel. To these satraps he gave account so that the king might suffer no loss. Soon Daniel distinguished himself above all the other presidents and satraps because of an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to appoint him over the whole kingdom. So the presidents and the satraps tried to find grounds for complaint against Daniel in connection with the kingdom, but they could find no grounds for complaint or any corruption because he was faithful and no negligence or corruption could be found in him. And the men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So the presidents and satraps conspired and came to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an interdict that whoever prays to anyone, divine or human, for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into a den of lions. Now, O king, establish the interdict and sign the document so that it might not be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and interdict. Although Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he continued to go to his house, which had windows in its upper room open toward Jerusalem, and to get down on his knees three times a day to pray to his God and praise him just as he had done previously. The conspirators came and found Daniel praying and seeking the mercy before his God. Then they approached the king and said concerning the interdict, O king, did you not sign an interdict that anyone who prays to anyone Divine or human, within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the den of lions. The king answered, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. And then they responded to the king, Daniel, one of the exiles from Judah. He pays no attention to you, O king, or to the interdict you've signed, but he's saying his prayers three times a day. And when the king heard the charge, he was very much distressed. He was determined to save Daniel, and until the sun went down, he made every effort to rescue him. Then the conspirators came to the king and said to him, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and the Persians that no interdict or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. And then the king gave the command. Daniel was brought and thrown into the den of lions. And the king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve faithfully deliver you. And the stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and the signets of his Lord so that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. And then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No food was brought to him and sleep fled from him. Then at the break of day, the king got up and hurried to the den of lions. And when he came near the den where Daniel was, he cried out anxiously to Daniel. Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, is your God whom you faithfully serve been able to deliver you from the lions? Daniel then said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no wrong. And then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he trusted in his God. Y'all, this is why this is not a kid's story. 
the king gave a command. And those who accused Daniel were brought and thrown into the den of lions. They, their children and their wives, before they reached the bottom of the den of lions, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all peoples and nations of every language throughout the whole world, may you have abundant prosperity. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people should tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion has no end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, for he has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. This is the word of the Lord. God, help us. Help us to hear the Bible. God, help us to transcend kitschy Sunday school stories. God, this is not a a Sunday school story. It's not a children's story. This is a story about people being dragged from their homes people losing their sense of place and living in Babylon. This is about brutal people doing brutal things, wicked people doing wicked things, and faithful people being faithful, and you being powerful. So we ask you to help us to see how this applies to us. Help us to see our own lives in light of this story, God. Help us to allow the Bible to read us rather than just us reading the Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Daniel and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have been dragged off into Babylonian exile. For the last number of weeks here at this church, we have been sitting with Daniel in this book and his friends as a kind of template for how to understand what it means to be Christian in a world that doesn't think Christianly. Daniel is a Jew. Daniel's home is Zion. The the house of God is his place. That's what he longs for. And yet he's been taken and removed from that place and put in a place that is not his home. And what we see throughout the book of Daniel is that Daniel works for the favor and the blessing of the place where he is, but he never forgets where he comes from. And it would have been really tempting for Daniel and the Jews to forget where they came from, to think, well, I guess this is our home now. And yet Daniel never for one day thought Babylon was his home. He knew where he came from. And yet he worked for the blessing of the place where he was. And as we live our lives in this modern era, I believe that we have a lot to learn from Daniel. If you're a Christian, you got to remember where you come from. You got to remember where you're from. This isn't where you're from. And everything in this world around us tries to tell us this is where we're from now. This is our place now. And Daniel was able to be in a place and yet remember that he was from another place. And I believe because of that, Daniel has so much to teach us. So much to teach us. We're going to look at a few movements as we walk through this long chapter in an effort to try to understand um, what, what it's saying to us, what, what the Lord would say to us through the story uh, that we read today, this famous, famous story. And the first thing that I think we have to contend with, which is frankly, the whole book of Daniel teaches us this, it's this, that favor, which Daniel experienced, and sabotage, resistance, opposition, which Daniel experiences, these things go hand in hand. 
Daniel was a, a person who benefited from the favor of God in a strange place. And like I said, he didn't confuse that favor with a sign that this was now his place. He said, I've got favor here. He was promoted. Uh, three different rulers loved him. Uh, he benefited and blessed three different rulers, men who would have been hostile to Daniel's faith and would have, would have wanted to subvert him at every turn. These people continue to love Daniel and they continue to give him opportunity, but Daniel never confuses opportunity with now this is God's best for me. He sees favor and opportunity as something that he can leverage and enjoy and that he can extend influence through but he never gets confused about ultimate things. And maybe one of the reasons why he never becomes confused is that Daniel throughout this book continues to experience what I would call sabotage. People want to get rid of him. People want to lock him up. People want to undermine him. And I want to be very clear with you that sabotage, as it came to Daniel, did not come to Daniel through his weaknesses. They came through his strengths. When we fall on our face because of our weaknesses, that's just the inevitable result of being broken, sinful, fallen people. When we experience what I would call sabotage or resistance or opposition, oftentimes that comes because we're actually doing something that's disrupting the status quo around us. And I want to say this, and I want to make no bones about it. God wants you and me to be the kinds of people who do things in his name that disrupt the status quo around us. When you do that you will experience sabotage. It does us no good to pretend that that won't be the case. It does us no good to get down in our feelings and feel sorry for ourselves when sabotage comes. It does us no good to think, if only I didn't experience difficulty, I would be the most awesome Christian in the world. Daniel and every faithful person throughout history teaches us this. When we disrupt the status quo, when we try to lead out in any way, whether that's through an organizational position of power or just the influence you have with the person sitting next to you, we will inevitably experience what Daniel experienced, which is resistance, opposition, and sabotage. Sabotage, as Daniel experienced, it was designed to get things back to the status quo. And the status quo there would have been Daniel go die, they go back to what they knew. It would have just been Daniel get removed from the equation so they don't have to deal with this God of Israel stuff. They could just get back to their old ways in Babylon. Favor and sabotage go hand in hand. They go like this. Where are you experiencing resistance? And I don't mean resistance because you've been a terrible person to someone. I mean, where have your strengths, where has your gift, where has your uh, desire to do right caused you to experience tension, resistance, and opposition? I'm going to say five things about sabotage that I think we need to hear, and then we're going to move forward. I wish that I could just teach through Ed Friedman's book, A Failure of Nerve, because that's where I've learned the most about sabotage. Um, here, here's, here's what Ed says. Let's put that first quote up. I'm going to go with it. I was like, I may not go with it, but I'm going to go with it. Ed Friedman says this, sabotage is not merely something to be avoided or wished away. Instead, it comes with the territory of leading, whether the territory is a family or an organization. He goes on to say that sabotage always manifests in very emotional places. So what's more emotional than getting thrown into a den of lions? 
Like that's as emotional as it gets. Because what they were using was the threat of something utterly terrifying to keep Daniel from doing what he was supposed to do. So sabotage always feels emotional. It's ultimately always ultimately an emotional thing. Um, It's a kind of thing that stirs inside of us. It's not about nuts and bolts as much as it is about emotional processes. So I'm going to say a few things about sabotage that maybe will help us understand. Number one, sabotage is a systemic reaction to change. When God calls you to lead, and that might mean leading in relational ways or organizational ways, sabotage is what happens when change is introduced. Daniel was changing things and sabotage came. And I would submit to you that sabotage wasn't just about the people that wanted him gone. It almost always manifests through people. People saying bad things or feeling uh, threatened and kind of pushing back or trying to undermine. And yet it's really a system thing and people get caught up in it. And that's helped me. Because there have been times in my life where the Lord's called me to um, stick my neck out there and people have got weird about it or whatever. And you think it's not ultimately about people. This is about a system kind of reacting to change. Number two, uh, sabotage is about emotional processes. Um, Feelings change so things get weird. Number three, sabotage is designed to push you and me back into a place of status quo or stasis. So in Daniel's case, sabotage came to try to get rid of him so that things could go back to what they'd always been. Where are you feeling an invitation to push against the status quo. Where's the status quo no longer working for you? If you lean against that, you will experience resistance, opposition, whatever you want to call it, sabotage. Where is God asking you to press through the status quo? I think that's a fundamental question all of us have to sit with. Number four, sabotage experiencing sabotage and the trouble that results from you being a difficult person are not the same thing. Some of us are just hard to deal with. Don't blame it on sabotage. You're just kind of a pain. (laughs) Sabotage actually comes from our strengths, not our weaknesses, uh, being leveraged in strength, not weakness. So don't blame things on sabotage when you just need to learn how to say you're sorry. And number five, sabotage is inevitable. It does us no good to run from it or pretend it doesn't exist. It does us no good to feel sorry for ourselves when we experience it. So here's what happens in this book. Daniel finds himself in a tight spot. Uh, They said, we can't find anything bad to say about him. So we're going to do something connected to his religion, the law of his God. And Daniel's strength is used against him. Now, I don't know when Daniel became a steadfast person. Maybe he was prior to exile. Maybe exile, when he got dragged off to Babylon, he realized that he was a mess and he started to kind of tend to his hidden life with God. I don't know how Daniel became steadfast. What I do know is that by the time this happens, Daniel is a steadfast person. His instinct is to be steadfast. Here's how we know it. He's... Oh, wait, my my notes are out of order. So this is how we know it. Daniel remains faithful despite the presence of emerging sabotage. Like they're going to do something bad and Daniel's not knocked off his mark. And so I want to ask you the question, how easily are you knocked off your mark? Like if you decide I'm going to take some new ground, I'm going to be faithful in this area and you get hit with inevitable sabotage, how easy is it for you to just go, oh, well, that was too hard. I think that too often... We get down in our feelings. 
We get so driven by our feelings that the minute we experience difficulty or pain or opposition, we just revert back to the status quo. And all that change that we hope for just doesn't happen. For whatever reason, Daniel had become the kind of person for whom when he experienced sabotage, he kept moving forward. So what does he do? He goes to his room, he opens the windows toward Jerusalem, and he gets on his face and he prays, and I bet he sings. He's worshiping God in a way that people can hear. Daniel is not bullied into reverting to the status quo. He continues to be who God's called him to be. He's not hiding his life with God. Daniel's not tenuous. Are you a tenuous person, spiritually speaking? I think that's one of the invitations we have to sit with if we're going to ask honest questions about a story like this. It's, am I tenuous where Daniel's not tenuous? Am I prone to reverting back to places of comfort and safety when the heat gets turned up? Because the, heat's will, the heat will inevitably be turned up. You will inevitably, I will inevitably run into places of sabotage and resistance and opposition. The question is what happens when we get into those places? For Daniel, somehow along the way, he had become a person whose instinct was to be steadfast. And if that's not true of us, the best thing we can do is to admit that that's not true and then begin to ask God, to help us cultivate hiddenness, secrecy, rootedness, so that we become the kinds of people who are able to withstand sabotage. If we're knocked off our mark, I just want to say to you, it doesn't have to be that way for all time. If we're easily blown back, that doesn't have to be true of you. Daniel proves it. So where are you experiencing pressure in your life? Where are things uncomfortable? These places might be an invitation for you to say, God, help me to remain steadfast in the midst of turbulence. I once had a mentor say to me, there are times in life where you can't really do anything to make a situation better, but if you act a fool, you can make things a lot worse. So where are you right now under threat of making things worse? of acting out of anxiety or fear or anger. And we know how this works because when those things fly, it's so hard to get them back. So what happens to Daniel? He gets thrown in the lion's den. And he goes into a tight spot, a dark place, thrown to the lions. And Darius doesn't want to do it. Darius kind of lights him. Daniel, Daniel's good for the bottom line. Like even wicked people like people who are good for the bottom line. Daniel's doing a great job. Darius tries all night long to fix it. He tries to do the right thing. He can't stop a process. And I would say to you, processes you put in place through your own vanity are very hard to stop. Darius instituted this process out of his own ego and his own vanity. And when we begin to initiate processes out of our own ego, those processes are almost impossible to stop. And Darius realizes it's too late. So what happens? Darius is anxious. Daniel is non-anxious. Darius wrings his hands. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't eat. He's freaking out. And Daniel maintains a non-anxious presence. And I, I don't have this on, like it's not written in the text, but I believe that Daniel was doing exactly what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. I believe that Daniel adopted the philosophy of if I go down into that pit, 
and I'm destroyed, I'm okay with that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, God is able to deliver us from the furnace, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to bend our knee. We're not going to compromise who we are. Daniel, steadfast, goes into a place. And what he does is what God wants all of us to grow to the point that we're able to do. He surrenders this mythological control over outcomes. See, you're never really as in charge of controlling outcomes as you think you are. Daniel in this moment, I believe, lets go of all the mythology around control and says, I am going to go and it's going to go however it's going to go, but I'm going to be with God one way or another. When you're faced with the turbulence of life, are you that kind of person? God wants us to become increasingly those kinds of people. And I believe that a growing conviction of trust The text says Daniel trusted in God. You know what the word trust means? It means to place the weight of your life upon. So like if I trust that chair, I place the weight of my my body on it and I trust it's gonna hold me up. But a lot of us live our lives like this, you know? It's like, we're we're like, you know, I I mean, I've got a little bit of weight, you know, but I wanna like hold back over here just in case this thing doesn't hold me. And what Daniel did when he went down was he went all in. And for some of us, that's the invitation. It's like, can we imagine what it would mean, what it would feel like, what it would look like to just place the weight of our life on God and let go of trying to control outcomes that we can't really control. I believe when we get to those places, we experience the power of God more than when we're not acting that way. If I'm always in reserve, I believe that I don't experience God's power like I do when I say, God, I can't control. Many of us in this room are facing situations and circumstances over which whatever happens next, you don't have tons of control over. It could be a health crisis. It could be a marital challenge. It could be a vocational challenge. It could be an angst in your soul. I don't know what it is, but what I do know is that if you will behave as if you are safe in God's kingdom, you might experience his power. Todd Hunter, my bishop, says over me when I present dire circumstances and challenging problems, he says to me on the phone, he'll say, Chris, you're perfectly safe in God's kingdom. What would it happen? What would it look like if you lived like that was true in this difficult circumstance? And I just want to say to you, if the lions eat you, if they don't eat you, ultimately you're safe in God's kingdom. Whatever this thing is, is not the end. That's what we believe as Christians, that this is an eternal story we're in, which is actually an invitation for you and me to be brave, knowing that God is good. And then we become the kinds of people who are more likely to be brave and experience his power. I believe that's what he wants for you and me. If you're able, let's stand up together. Thanks so much for listening to the sermon today. My name is Chris McDaniel. I am the pastor here on the west side at Trinity in Atlanta. At Trinity, our mission is to be a people who are growing into Christ-likeness. And if you want to find out more information about Trinity or get connected to the life of the church, please visit us at atltrinity.org. Thanks. God bless.